Good morning everyone. Churches can be funny places, can't they? I grew up in a congregational church. Congregationalists held the view that God guides the church when the whole congregation meets together, as the early church seemed to do in Acts chapter 13. But rather than meeting for prayer and fasting, we met for discussion and a vote where all members had equal say. Of course, the minister and deacons guided and helped us make the choices they wanted for the most part. But there were times when we disagreed. One difficult meeting was about whether or not to accept the new constitution of the Congregational Church of England and Wales. This seemed to reduce the power of the local congregation to choose their own minister, and many folk wanted to reject the new constitution and be part of a group of like-minded churches. It was contentious. The church secretary spoke in favour of staying in. He thought that a decision to reject the constitution would look like criticism of others. There was a bit of a reaction. He felt humiliated by this and resigned forthwith. I was 14, only recently admitted to church membership. I was baffled by the secretary's departure. He wouldn't change his mind. I don't think that this was because of a principled view of the church's actions, but more because his pride was hurt. Another time concerned an ageing choir member, the soprano, who was often prominent through her increasingly harsh off-key voice. How to deal with this? A thank you party and presentation gift were arranged to allow her to retire gracefully. But she saw through the ruse and chose to take offence. She declared that she wouldn't come to church anymore. A compromise was reached. She would sing only on special occasions. Now this was hardly the desired outcome, but I fancy no one had the guts to tell her that her voice was no longer blending in with others. It made me vow never to go on singing beyond my time, and you have my permission to tell me to my face. I'm sure many of you could tell stories of your own. Christians are human after all. But I think the force of what Paul says in Ephesians 4 is that we should not have to duck and dive around each other like that. Christians are human but also the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit of God. This should make our community radically different from your U3A, WI, Bowls Club or Model Railway Club. Sadly, churches are often much worse. Paul was well aware of how people in Ephesus behaved. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up sens to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Wow, those are strong words. Futility, darkened, alienated, ignorance, hardness of heart, callous, sensuality, greed, impurity. Notice the behaviour comes from the mind and understanding or the lack of it. Our beliefs and values, our mindset, will determine our behaviour. When we come to Christ, all this changes. 
That is not the way you learned Christ, says Paul. No, in Christ we learn to put off these old behaviours and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So what is this new life in Christ like? It seems to me that I preached on this not long ago when we did 1 John. We talked about walking in the light, about being open and transparent with each other. And here Paul seems to say much the same thing. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbour, for we are members one of another. The dishonesty of trying to retire off an off-key singer with a show of insincere gratitude, though it was kindly meant, simply did not work. Yet, the kind of relationship which might have allowed for frankness was just not there. Paul goes on with various practical instructions, but I think the key verse is verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit who dwells within us can be grieved. What a very personal quality that is. He's not a force or a power. He can be grieved. It can be saddened. He's likened to a dove, a gentle bird, easily scared off by a disturbance. When our grandchildren fight and argue, we feel upset and grieved. Just imagine how God feels when his children misbehave. So what is it that saddens him? Firstly, anger. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. We could argue about whether it's ever right for godly people to be angry. But Jesus was angry at times in the Gospels, but he did not sin. For us, anger seldom comes without some taint of selfishness. This verse emphasises the need to deal with it promptly, before sundown if at all possible. If we let our anger settle into resentment and bitterness, the devil will use it to spoil relationships and to divide us from each other. So if someone upsets you, it may be good to take a while to calm down and not to shoot our mouth off straight away. We need time to examine our own hearts and attitudes and to be sure that the hurt is not just injured pride. But don't leave it fermenting. It harms you and the church and it makes the Holy Spirit sad. So deal with it. Secondly, laziness and dishonesty. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Our instinct is to be people who work hard so that we can be generous to others. Thirdly, careless conversation. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Is our talk always wholesome? Are we fond of gossip, innuendo, double entendres or crude jokes? Or do we aim to build others up in their faith 
and to give grace. When we put on a front and pretend that everything's okay or talk in half-truths, the Holy Spirit is grieved. When we speak unkindly or tell an inappropriate joke, he is grieved. When we take offence and allow resentment to fester, he is grieved. When we're thoughtless or proud, when we give in to self-pity, when we're touchy or critical, we grieve the Holy Spirit. So Paul continues, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. How was it that God forgave us? Was it just the once, until we offended again? No, we read in chapter 1 of Ephesians that he blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ and he lavished his grace upon us. Therefore, be imitators of God, says Paul, as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, who is equal to these things? Humanly speaking, none of us are, but we have the Holy Spirit dwelling among us and within us. Let's determine not to cause him grief and not to have him withdraw. We have an answer to all these sins and failures. I wonder if you did learn 1 John 1 verse 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. <laughs>